Hey there and Happy New Year! In case we haven't spoken before, I'm recording this on the fourth day of the new year, 2022. And oh my gosh, I have so high, so such high hopes for this new year. I'm very optimistic, and so you should be too. We're starting off the new year, of course, with a brand new show. And well, as I told you before, this is going to be an, a fantastic year for you as my audience because I have so much more time available to uh, to work for you, to, to bring you these shows, uh, to introduce you to my documentaries, to bring you along on my journeys uh, all over the world. Of course, all that depends on the situation uh, with regards to the pand- pandemic. But... If I understand the news correctly, this is this might be going in the right direction. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So a couple of days ago, I got my booster shot. We're accelerating uh, the whole booster program uh, rapidly in the Netherlands because of the Omicron virus. Oh, yeah, Omicron variant variant that you are now undoubtedly familiar with. Um, it is uh, a race against the clock in many countries because the uh, o- Omicron virus is spreading like ten times faster than the original Delta variant. And apparently this has to do with the the place where the virus actually works, which is both a disadvantage and an advantage. Uh, the advantage is the, the, the virus stays in the upper bron- bronchi, I think that's what it's called, I'm not a doctor, but in the upper part respiratory system. So it it's much harder for this variant to deep do a deep dive in your into your lungs where actually most of the problems come from with people that end up in the hospital and if you've had covid you may have had you know these respiratory problems that was because the previous variant was very aggressive and very damaging to the lungs and dangerous this new variant stays up more in the upper regions and that probably has to do with the downside of this variant and that is it wants to spread faster it is like a, a, an upgrade and a downgrade at the same time. Uh, or as Steve Jobs would call it, it's not a bug, it's a feature. <laughs> so the, the fact that the virus works in the upper part of your respiratory system means that it actually multiplies there and it's much easier for, from there because it's close to your you know, exits. <laughs> to spread into the world. And and so that's why many more people are getting sick than ever before. Uh, However, the advantage is people don't get as sick as they used to get from the Delta variant. And so this, this Omicron variant is undoubtedly becoming dominant in the entire world, which means that our bodies will have a less damaging virus to combat. And from the looks of it, the body will create this, will have the same um, response to this somewhat milder, less dangerous variant as it had to the Delta variant. So you get the same defense reaction. And so you will build up antibodies and everything. And in the future, your body will be able to recognize this virus much faster. But it is, it, it can build that resistance with a, an enemy that is less dangerous. It's like fighting a star destroyer instead of the Death Star. Um, 
to use a uh, Star Wars analogy. Now, I'm sure that proportionally there are, there are many things to say about this. It, uh, again, I'm not a doctor, and, but I'm trying to kind of simplify it visually for myself. It's, uh, it's much easier to uh, get a Star Destroyer under control than an entire Death Star, unless you're Luke Skywalker and you use the Force. So, of course, all this is based on preliminary research. Uh, it's, it, but I'm, I keep being amazed at how fast the entire world, of course, is, is on this. And the scientists and virologists from everywhere are, are studying this night and day. But it is pretty amazing that it, within the time span of a few weeks, we get already so much data. And we've learned so much over this past year from this pandemic to be able to project what will likely happen this year. And so it is not unthinkable that if this variant gets the upper hand, it may actually help us ultimately to get rid of the pandemic faster than if we would be stuck with the Delta variant. Here's hoping. Of course, nothing is certain. But I'm, as you know, I'm always optimistic. I always want to have hope that we're going to get through this and... Well, I guess it's only in hindsight that we can say, hey, we, we made it and uh, the world is a better place right now. In the meantime, of course, even in the worst case scenario, never lose hope that this can become a good year. Or in fact, you should tell yourself this is already a good year. Why? Because if whether this year or not is good does not depend on the circumstances, but it depends on your attitude towards what happens to you. It is your, your own mindset, as Cliff Ravenscraft would, would, uh, would call it, that determines how you deal with the situation and you can actually really make uh, your life wonderful for yourself, but also for the people around you, regardless of what will happen. And I, 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 that's one of the amazing things I th that we have all learned in this past year uh, when it comes to this virus, for instance, of course it's terrible what happened. At the same time, the world came together and learned so much, and we are now so much more prepared for future pandemics than ever before, that, that there is actually good despite the, the situation. There is hope, regardless of, of also the, all the reasons that we have to, to fear and to be sad and, and, uh, and frustrated about the situation. And focus on the good part. Focus on that. M train yourself to constantly look for the good, look for, the, for the, the rays of light. And it will change this year. It will change your outlook. All right, enough with the mental coaching stuff. <laughs> but anyway, um, personally... I think this is going to be an awesome year in terms of production. I've, I've learned so much this past year about um, how to do the stuff that I do. Well, I mean, if you're watching the live stream one of these days, you will see that the studio that I currently, that I built, this is what I dreamt of for years. And it's now, it's coming together. And so uh, in terms of you know, this, the, the, the overall facilities, the material part of what I do, it's, it's so much better than ever before. And then plus all the experience in creating TV programs and the motivation that comes from uh, being able to share this with an international audience instead of just with a Dutch audience. I cannot wait to get going. In fact, I am already on my way to uh, to realizing the goals that I set. And if you want to hear more about that and you are a patron, then you're in luck because from now on, 
um, you will be able to walk with me a little bit farther than the regular listeners to my podcast, The Walk. Now, you know that my, my show, The Walk, is a, literally a walk. I go outside and I share with you what's going on in my life, the things that I've learned. And just as for this show, there is a max version, which is basically another hour of the same type of content that you are listening to right now. But it is about different topics, and uh, but that's for patrons, for the people that um, that help me to realize my mission. In the same way, and this is something new, I'm going to do that also with the walk. So you've got the regular walk that will be, you know, nothing is going to change there. Um, but then for my patrons, I'm going to make an extra round. I'm, I'm literally going the extra mile for my patrons, and that is where in this first maximum episode of The Walk, I'll be sharing some of these projects that I'm currently working on and that soon you will be able to to watch. And it's going to be awesome. I'm so excited. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. All right, we need to talk the book of Boba Fett. Oh my goodness. We have a new Star Wars series. And that alone, for me, is cause for celebration. Because, man, it is such a joy to have a weekly Star Wars episode to look forward to. Of course, we had have had a bit of a patch uh, for all those addicts, you know, so, like people do that are addicted to smoking, and they instead of smoking, they'll put a, a patch on their back with chemicals in it, so, with nicotine and stuff. In a certain way, you know, when we got the Bad Batch, the animated series, that felt a bit, bit like that. We were all still kind of recovering from this fantastic season of The Mandalorian with this incredible uh, resolution in the final episode and this reveal. But then we were like, oh my gosh, the next time we're going to see this Mandalorian armor, it's going to be the Book of Boba Fett. And it is going to be about one of the most popular uh, figures from the original trilogy. The bounty hunter, Boba Fett. What happened to him after he fell into the Sarlacc pit? And I have to say, this first episode did not disappoint me. It may have disappointed other Star Wars fans, but that's kind of how the cookie crumbles nowadays. It's like some people are addicted to negativity. So what I said just in my intro about having a positive outlook and how that will actually materially materially change your life the same is true for the way you watch tv the way you watch movies your mindset is going to determine how much you will enjoy it it's not the movie itself it's not the tv tv episode itself it's your attitude and and i i'm i'm sometimes a little bit sad when i see Star Wars fans big Star Wars fans much more knowledgeable than i am about Star Wars but they seem to, they, uh, they seem unable to stop themselves from criticizing, dissecting these episodes and just pointing at what was wrong or, more often, what should have been better and should have in their mind. You know, it's their, their, they're checking their Santa list. Well, but this episode didn't do this, didn't do this, didn't do this, didn't do this. So I thought it was terrible. 
thanks but no thanks, Lucasfilm. Whereas I'm like, that is so not the way I want to be a Star Wars fan. And uh, and I, I've never been a Star Wars fan like that. I want to enjoy it. And it's Star Wars, you know? It's like, do you want to have another slice of cake? Yeah, maybe it's not the best cake in the world, but I'm not going to say no. Are you crazy? So, <laughs> gelato is gelato, even though you like the pistachio better than the strawberry ice cream. You know, it's, it's ice cream. It's not a question. I, Of course I'm going to enjoy it. But there was actually, I think, also uh, a lot of... Uh, there are a lot of good reasons to like this episode. Maybe not from the perspective of someone who expected, like, I don't know, <laughs> a sequel to The Empire Strikes Back. But th th what makes this episode so interesting and so worth your time are uh, is, is what they do story-wise, what they do in terms of themes. And what really uh, struck me was how incredible biblical this first episode of the Boba Fett, the Book of Boba Fett was. You know, even the title itself, the Book of Boba Fett, almost sounds like something from the Old Testament, right? It's the Book of Revelations, or well, that's actually New Testament, <laughs> the Book of Job, or, you know, the Book of Boba Fett. Almost, the title itself almost introduces Boba Fett as a quasi-biblical archetype. And you know what? That's not by accident. Judging from the first episode, there are so many very clear, this is not open to debate in my, in my uh, perspective, so many crystal clear references to both the figure of Moses and Jesus in this episode, story-wise, story-arc-wise, visually, um, that I thought, wow, this, this is Star Wars at its best. Star Wars is basically modern mythology taking old, important themes from books that nobody wants to read anymore and telling the same truths and, the same, and, and, and handing on, passing on the same values in a different language, in a way that does appeal to the, today's generations. And then it's my turn, it's my job to, to show how much these new stories reflect the old stories and so that in order to enjoy these newer stories better you may want to check out the old stories as well they actually are better than you think they are so if you want to have my full thoughts and of course i can't talk spoilers here although you know when i say moses jesus go rewatch that episode and i'm pretty sure that if you've only read a sliver of those stories in, in, in the Old and New Testament, you, you will be able to recognize uh, what I say. So, but if you want to have my full analysis of those you know, biblical themes in this first episode, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel and go check out that uh, analysis. I, I usually do three videos for each Boba Fett episode. I do a watch party, which is, by the way, so much fun. So I watch the episode live on youtube i'm not i'm not showing it i'm not playing the audio but people can start the episode at the same time as i do and then for instance watch my youtube uh commentary live commentary on their phone or whatever and then it's almost as if they are sitting next to me on the couch watching the same episode it's like watching star wars with your friends i remember that last year i had so much fun uh watching the mandalorian with uh, with hank and with inge uh, and the three of us, we watched that final episode together. And then just to be able to experience that reveal at the end with the three of us, 
that was a hundred times better than watching it by myself. So these watch parties are kind of a digital way to recreate that idea. And uh, so that's video number one that I do. Then right afterwards, I record a non-spoiler first reaction because that's uh, something that a lot of people check out. I was surprised actually um, to see how much growth my YouTube channel got from that one spoiler-free, very general first reaction. I, I didn't really bring much to the table other than my enthusiasm and then, you know, some loose thoughts that weren't spoilerish. Um, and yet, it's one of the best viewed YouTube videos in ages. And and uh, all the, the algorithm... Um, uh, I have one service that I follow uh, that always analyzes the traffic on my YouTube channel and tells me, you know, what to continue to do. YouTube also has a, a like a section in the on the back end of the YouTube page where it tells you, hey, this dude, this video is doing very well. Do more of that. And so, uh, the the but, but I think what really helps is that I give my initial impression. So it's like almost as if you've just seen a movie, you walk out of the theater, and then you talk in front of the theater with your friends. And you're like, oh, did you remember this? And oh, what did you think of that? And you have to still not, you can't talk spoilers because there are people already lining up in, you know, to see the next showing of that same movie. And you don't want to be uh, Homer Simpson, who tells Marge, you know, outside of the theater, uh, would you believe that Darth Vader was Luke's father? <laughs> It's a classic, you know, like the ultimate, all the ultimate sin that you can do is to spoil something as important as that to people that are still you know, to experience that. But anyway, and then the third video is going to be this more in-depth analysis. Un well, unfortunately, the, the only time that I can record it is today, whereas the new episode is already going to be uh, online tomorrow morning for me. Um, although I will be doing the watch party for those of you on the West Coast, at 9 o'clock... No, wait. It's going to be midnight in L.A. and San Francisco. It's going to be 3 o'clock in the morning in New York. So I, I don't think that I will get many people watching the watching the episode with me at that time of the day. But for, for Europeans, 9 o'clock, that's feasible. And it's probably also going to be something that people from, you know, Asia and Australia and New Zealand will be able to watch with me. So... Um, so anyway, three videos of Star Wars commentary, and I'm I I couldn't be more excited. There's already so much in this first episode um, that is totally up my alley. You know, when it comes to analysis of the deeper themes, I'm not. You know, don't watch my videos to to get all the 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 Easter eggs explained and references and oh that armor is from that episode of the Clone Wars. You know, there are other YouTubers that do that much much better than I do. Uh, and I learn from them, and I really enjoy what they do. But my thing is, you know, let me just show you all these little, you know, biblical sprinkles in there and this myth mythological fabric and do, like, structural analysis. Why is the story told the way it is told? And hopefully by doing that, I can contribute a little bit to the Star Wars fandom by showing that, you know, in the end, when you look at it a little bit more carefully, you will maybe have to conclude that the episode is actually much better than you initially thought it would. And so maybe I can help people kind of rid themselves from these chains chains of hyper-criticism hyper because I don't think that it makes you a happy person to be so critical towards everything. 
always look for the sprinkles of light. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and their traditions, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And in this episode, I want to explain a little bit more what Catholics do after Christmas. Because they're not done partying. <laughs> Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. Not only do we have a lot of, uh, of crazy rules, but we have also got a lot of crazy parties. And when the world stops partying, that's when we as Catholics begin. Starting, for instance, with Christmas. I, I've, I've been listening to Christmas music for quite a while now. And I actually, I did something that I normally I'd never do. Uh, Christians usually prepare for Christmas by the time of Advent. And Advent is is. is is not Christmas itself. It's a very different atmosphere. It has, it has a different meaning, which is you prepare yourself for Christmas, but you don't celebrate it yet because Christmas is still to come. So it doesn't make sense to already sing Christmas songs when, you know, the Redeemer isn't even born yet. So instead, uh, there are some Advent songs, and it's all about, you know, these Old Testament prophecies that, you know, point us the way, lead us to hope for the coming of Christ, etc. Um, and it's a little bit, I mean, it's not a, a church rule, but it is, it's actually something that is, is part of the Catholic culture not to, you know, overdo it Christmas-wise before Christmas. You start to, for instance, the nativity scene, um, you can you can put that up right before Christmas, but not like four weeks in advance. Um, most, well, most, I don't know, most, uh, a number of Catholics will actually only put the Christmas tree in place like in the, a few days before Christmas. And that's probably because around Christmas time itself is going to be too too busy and too, too, too much stress to do that. And uh, I know almost all of my friends, when they put up a nativity scene before Christmas, they will put everyone in place except for the little baby Jesus. You put that one, you put ba Jesus into its crib uh, on Christmas Eve or after Christmas Eve Mass. And, and I like these traditions. It's, it's always like every time has its own value and its own function. And it seems as if the world is doing the opposite. We, we celebrate in advance. And there's something to say about that as well. Um, but it can also go a bit overboard when it comes to Christmas. But um, think of Easter. You know, Easter, the Easter eggs, the chocolate stuff, it's, it's already hitting the stores now. And, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Winter hasn't even fully begun and you're already celebrating the this this springtime you know life filled event of Easter, uh, we haven't even started Ash Wednesday yet, and we're already stuffing ourselves ourselves with chocolate eggs, and talking about the Easter Bunny. So I think that that there is an art to um, to celebrating each time of the year at its own pace, and like it, who is going to open the Christmas presents? two weeks in advance, it, it loses all 
power and all meaning and enjoyment. Um, so, but this year I made a, a bit of an exemption uh, for myself. I started listening to, to secular Christmas songs uh, a few weeks in advance. And it's mostly because there is something comfortable about the, you know, have yourself a merry little Christmas and uh, all these songs about snow and a white world and winter wonderland. And it's the most wonderful time of the year. Because actually at that time, a few weeks before Christmas, it felt like oh, this is finally, you know, this is going to be the most wonderful part of the year for me. Absolutely. After this... 2021 has been a very testing year but now you know i'm finally settled i am I'm, I'm in a nice house and i'm looking forward to next year what's not to like and so these these i use these songs to to in to enhance that mood and every time i stepped into the shower i had this radio playing the christmas channel and i was just singing along with all these you know christmas um uh, crooners and everything but then Catholics will, will start to celebrate Christmas after uh, Christmas Eve um, for eight days. We call that the octave. And that will uh, find its conclusion uh, in, in, in between those days. We, we also have, and that differs every year, uh, the Feast of the Holy Family. Um, we've got the, um, uh, what is it called in English? The Revelation of the Lord, the Openbaring. It's basically the Feast of the Magi, right? And then uh, that was this past weekend. And then we're still not done celebrating because it will, we, all, we will also have next week the uh, Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, which is the only story that we mark on that Sunday that is not from the childhood Gospels because... Of course, Jesus was an adult when he went down to the river to be baptized by John the Baptist. But, of course, it is part of this revelation of who this child actually is. It's not just a baby, uh, son of a carpenter. No, it's the Redeemer. And the baptism marks the start of his public life. You know, it's the descent of the Holy Spirit. Jesus rises from the waters and he's ready for this new life, this public life that we still remember 2,000 years later. So that's kind of a big deal as well. And that it's the baptism of the Lord that kind of officially concludes the Christmas time. So for me, it's still Christmas. I still have the Christmas tree up and down the stairs. And there are actually even people that will leave the Christmas tree and all the decorations up until the 2nd of February, which is... Um, a Marian feast, uh, and it's the priest. It, it's, it celebrates the, the pre presentation of the Lord at the temple, which actually brings us back to the time that Jesus was still an infant. Uh, but that's celebrated in in February, and and that, in at least in in tradition, was the like the final conclusion of all these Christmas uh, celebrations. So I'm still a little bit on the fence. What I will do the Christmas tree. I have a fake tree. It's a lot of work to. Uh, to build it up and to tear it down. I only put the, the decorations in. So the, Hank helped me put the lights in, or he actually he mounted the whole thing um, when we were finishing the renovation. And, and thankfully, but it, it's complicated. And I'm, I'm not the best person to do this kind of construction, deconstruction. Um, but, uh, but I didn't have, or he didn't have time, uh, nor did I, to put these these balls in there and all the other stuff. So I, I got some of those, you know, silver and golden decorations. And I only put them in 
the other day, like two days ago. <laughs> because I got guests, actually. It's like my friends are visiting. So I want the house to look nice. Oh my gosh, I still have to uh, decorate the Christmas tree. So I was decorating the Christmas tree eight days after Christmas. Oh, but, but you know, it's okay. It's still Christmas time for Catholics. So... <laughs> The new year, by the way, is not a, a, a specific Christian celebration or doesn't have its own liturgical feast in the Catholic calendar, but there is this tradition of celebrating Mary, the mother of Christ, on, uh, uh, on the 1st of January. And um, I celebrated an online Mass, and you can still watch it on, on, this, on the YouTube channel. Um, so for those of you that are watching this uh, on YouTube, you can still look for that um, for that mass on on the first of January. So now you know that's why Catholics aren't the kind of boring people that we're sometimes depicted as. We're party goers. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I want to talk about one of the coolest books I've read uh, at the end of this year, just last week, a couple of days ago, and uh, and that many of you have already read or have on their to-read list. And I just want to mention it here to encourage you to read it and maybe even reread it because it's that good. It's Andy Weir's pr- uh, new book, The Hail Mary Project. Now, um, I could do a long review of what I liked about this book, Um, but what I also wanted to share with you is how this book came about. This is something that I learned from, actually from Audible. Now, I'm not an Audible member, uh, but I do have the app, and I have a few, in the past, I've bought a few Audible books. In fact, if you don't know this, if you have, um, uh, if you bought books on the Amazon Kindle store, there is a page on Amazon where you can, uh, have Amazon go through your list of purchased books and it will show you the audiobook equivalent or version of the book you already own. And, and more often than not, you will get a huge discount on the audiobook. So instead of paying like 35 bucks for just one audiobook, you'll get it for $9.99 or, or 12 bucks. And that may not be worth it for, for all your books, but there, there may be certain books that you're like, wow, I mean... Think of the Lord of the Rings or something like that. It's worth having the audiobook because it's it just enhances your experience. Or sometimes books will be performed instead of just read. And you will have sound effects. Some of the Star Wars books do that. And the audiobook version definitely adds to the experience and to the enjoyment. So um, that's why I have this Audible app because a lot of those <clears throat> audiobooks that are linked to the regular books that I read on the Kindle... Um, are easier to play in the Audible app. But what is funny, even if you don't have a, a current Audible subscription, the app itself still has a lots of goodies that you can listen to that are for free. And so when I went to the Audible page for uh, Andy Weir's book uh, about the Hail Mary project, there was a long, like a half-hour interview with Andy Weir that they recorded, uh, and I think this was right around the publication time of the book. So nobody knew very much about the book yet. And in that interview, which 
it's really like a podcast. It is, I, I was riveted. It was the first interview that I heard with an author, but what I appreciated was that it went so much in depth when it comes to the writing process. And it's not the kind of promotional talk that you would expect on a, you know, an Amazon-owned website or service. And what was fascinating, so just in, in, in a few seconds, what is this book about? Um, it, it, it takes place in our world in the near future. And uh, at one point, people start realizing that the amount of energy that comes from the sun is weakening. And soon they discover that this is due to basically, you could say, space bacteria that are just need the, the energy from the sun to procreate and to live. But this poses an, uh, a lethal threat to the um, to the future of mankind. And so this one guy is sent in space to solve this and to figure out why this is happening. And in his quest to discover what is going on and how to uh, save the Earth, he encounters, let's put it, another, another... Uh, another someone, let's keep it very general, spoiler free, another someone who um, is on the same quest and they learn to communicate, they learn to work together and that's what the book is about. And it's like, you. I always wonder, like like The Martian and uh, to a lesser extent, the, uh, what was it, The Artemis Project, this book is filled to the brim with, uh, with science and uh, uh, even though the, the entire premise, of course, is fictional, a lot of the science that is mentioned is not and, or may not be realized, but is, is in fact possible. Um, and Andy Weir usually does a lot of research before he starts writing. And I, I think it's very rare to find someone who is able to tell you very high concept scientific uh, uh, information and to keep it light-hearted and, and, and understandable without, without letting go of the quality of the research that he did. I think it's amazing how you keep reading, even though there were pages where I was like, wow, it looks like I'm like studying here instead of reading a, a novel, but I still want to continue to read. It doesn't feel like work. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing what he pulled off. But what he tells the interviewer in that um, Audible interview is that this actually, this book was never supposed to happen. This book is actually made of leftovers. Literally, it's, it's, he cooked it up as leftovers because he was under time constraint to deliver a book. So what happened when he wrote The Martian, um, everybody wanted to have a piece of the, of the pie, of course. And, and, and his publisher was like, dude, write another version of this. We don't care what it's about. We, no questions asked just write us another book but write it fast here's your deadline and then he was like okay that's when he wrote the book of i think it's artemis the artemis was it the artemis project the thing about the the base on the moon which i didn't enjoy that much i thought it was a bit felt rushed well now <laughs> it's clear why because he was under so much pressure to produce another novel i think the story suffered there but he was already also working on something much more ambitious. He wanted to write uh, an opus manium, as they say it in Latin. So he wanted to write something akin to the Lord of the Rings in scope or the foundation books by uh, uh, 
what's his name? Arthur is Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, um, he 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 wanted to write something that is more than just a simple novel that you can finish in a couple of days, and so he 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 began writing uh, or laid the groundwork of a huge story that would cover maybe 10 books or more you know something in along the lines of uh, of the wheel of time and he started to build to do character building world building uh integrating all you know the science stuff and he kept sharing that 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 with his publisher and they were like okay i we have no idea where this is going but hey it's andy weir it'll sell anyway we'll just put his name on the, on the cover of the book, and he can write uh, about lantern posts, and p- people will still buy it. Um, but Andy Weir, while writing, he had he had been writing for half an hour, half a year already on that big story, and then one day he looked at what he had written. He was like, "This is terrible. This is really terrible. This is not fun." There is nothing new in what I write. The, these characters are are not engaging at all. The story itself is a it's, it's just slow and pondering, and it, it this is terrible. It takes courage for a writer to say that when you have a deadline to meet. And so he decided that right on the spot, I'm going to stop this. This is not working. You know what? Even though that may be a dream for me, but if it doesn't work. It's it's never going to be a good dream. So let me just start anew. And then his publisher is like, but hey, we agree. Well, they didn't comment on it, but he himself in the interview says they probably agreed with me that it was terrible that because they had been reading all along. With they were just too polite to say anything. So he immediately got the green light to start anew and to write something else. Again, no questions asked. Asked. It's Andy Weir. So he restarted writing, but he only had a few months left, I think, to produce the book that is now called The Project Hail Mary. So in a certain way, the book itself for him was literally a Hail Mary. It's like, uh, okay, I I need a Hail Mary. I need to say a Hail Mary and see if I can save this this project in a certain way and, and produce a book before the deadline. Because of course, with these deadlines, you already get paid. But then you have to deliver. Otherwise, you get all sorts of legal consequences. In my TV work, it's the same thing. Once a deadline is in your contract, you have to meet it. There is no, there is no other option. Um, so what he then did is like um, he went back through his already written pages. It's like you know, yeah, ninety percent of it is terrible, but there were some interesting ideas in there, and there is this one idea. That in the in this big story uh, that he wanted to develop, people had discovered a new, a new type of, of fuel that we would be so much more powerful than any rocket fuel that uh, people were using in the past, and it was I think organic fuel or whatever. It was just a small idea, but that he took that one idea and was like, all of a sudden I know what story I want to write. It's going to be this idea, but then I know how this will form the the nucleus of, of of what could be a very compelling story and so that's how he started writing and it's almost but well i'm sure he put a lot of work in it but the story just started flowing and it became i think one of his better books this is not the martian that that book is pretty unique and i'm i'm 
I think it, I wonder if it's possible to to get to that same level, but it is it's really on par. It's it's a similar read and has a lot of elements in common with the Martian. Uh, and yet goes into a very different direction and really makes you think. That's what I enjoyed the most. It's like, oh, wow, okay. So what if the, the, hmm, the future will have encounters like this? And it's so, I mean, he has a way to rethink concepts that we have about, uh, about the universe, about life uh, that are so different from from the kind of the concepts that we tell each other. It's like um, when I say heaven, you know, imagine life in heaven. You'll have a mental picture, you know, fluffy clouds and the pearly gates and angels with harps. And that is our way to describe heaven visually. And, 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 and it's based on centuries of visualizations and iconography. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's just an image. What if heaven, what if someone, an artist, comes, comes along and gives you a totally different description of heaven and it's still theologically sound and it's very, you know, well thought out, but it com completely breaks every image that you previously held about life in heaven. I mean, who wouldn't be riveted by that? That would be so cool. And I, I'm actually, I'm pretty sure that it's possible to do that. Um, and that's that's what Andy Weir does here when it comes to life in the universe, and 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 it's 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 pretty unique and science based. It, it, this is not maybe not possible, but it is certainly plausible. Um, and there's also uh, a, a, another interesting element in it that is with language, language and music. Again, I can't really go into spoiler territory, but the the uh, the whole concept that music can also be a language you don't necessarily need words it's like the other day i had uh, friends come over and michiel and liz and um and we were talking about sign language the reason being that liz is uh hard of hearing and uh, often uses sign language to communicate and has other people uh, use that language with her and I, I told her that I was often surprised to see on television when there is uh, sign language uh, provided, for instance, during press conferences about COVID, that oftentimes, you know, the, the people talking would use a lot of words and it's very precise language. And then the interpreter who does the sign language just makes a few gestures and then oftentimes is able to tell the same story within much less time. And Liz explained to me that that is because sign language itself is not letter-based. It is oftentimes one gesture that expresses a whole lot of words in just one sign. And so um, as a language, sign language is way more efficient than written language or spoken language. And I, I was fascinated. I, I've always had a bit of a weak spot for for languages but the whole concept of being of communicating with gestures and how that it's like um also chinese writing where a character is not just a letter a character can be an entire concept with with all sorts of nuances it's just one character they just have a ton of them way more than we have letters in the alphabet um but reading chinese is 
is is is an experience in itself that has nothing to do with reading like Roman language or European languages, um, because you you every every symbol is a, a concept in itself. Uh, and that is why it's also very compact as a as a language, and and in a certain way also very beautiful, um, because it's even if you write Chinese, it's your hand is dancing. You know, it's it's uh, there is a lot in creating the sign itself, and the sign itself is also saying a lot, and yet it doesn't occupy much much space on paper. Fascinating. Um, so that is that is also, um, uh, 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 I think, a very creative idea in this book that 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 musical notes can actually be very efficient at at expressing language and meaning. Anyway, you have to read it for yourself if you've already read it. Uh, um, you will agree with me. This this was a really really good book. I'm glad I read it. And now <laughs> I'm on to my next reading challenge for 2022 i challenged myself to read 100 books <clears throat> if you have any suggestions uh, uh books that you've loved and that you want, want to bring to my attention leave them in the comments uh post them in the discord server because uh, i well it's 100 books I, I i need some help in choosing them <laughs> in picking the right ones <laughs> Scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. Now, since we're already in outer space, last time we spoke about the Webb telescope and how it was successfully launched on the first day of Christmas. But it's not over yet. It needs to deploy. And that is a 300-step process where 300 times when something goes wrong, it's end of mission. This telescope is irreparable unrecoverable it would be a waste of years and years and years of of work and and uh, research and of course millions and millions and millions of dollars so currently the telescope is unfolding it's it's uh first of all i think it's the solar collectors or that went well and now it's expanding some other big stuff like i think there's a like a sail like protrusion that needs to unfold and uh and 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 they need to bring literally tension to all the rods that keep it in place and so far so good it's looking really good and uh, a lot of experts are more and more convinced that they're gonna pull it off how cool would that be and i cannot wait to see the first image they must already know what they're gonna take pictures of when they're uh when, when this thing is fully operational. But, but what a, an incredible display of knowledge and expertise. This whole, not just launching a rocket, but then doing this jigsaw puzzle in space without astronauts who can you know, help with that. It, it, it feels like a gamble, but it's not. It's just based on the incredible technical uh, knowledge and expertise that we as as mankind have built up over time and let's not forget this is not this is just one of the incredible um astronomical feats that we've witnessed over these past few years there there is a moon rover on the other side of the moon the the site that we never see fr from china that is just running around there and taking pictures and apparently it's spotted something in the distance it's a blurry shape 
on one of the photographs that they that they uh, published. The weird thing is, it looks like a shack. It looks like a house. It's like a rectangular structure, which is so such an anomaly that the Chinese have now decided to actually order the moon rover to to go towards it and to take pictures up close. Stuff like that. Who would have dreamt of, of, of witnessing that? And, and then, of course, we've got all our Martian explorers and the ongoing plans of, of, of sending people to Mars. Maybe I'll get to live to see the date that, that people will land on Mars. And, and maybe, just like in Andy Weir's story, there's maybe a, one, a one-way mission. Um, and so what kind of qualities do astronauts need for an endeavor that will basically mean that they will never die here on Earth. Who would make a sacrifice like that? Well, apparently enough candidates already. So, uh, yeah, we live in amazing times when it comes to science. And that's also true for technology, by the way. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Sometimes my fascination with technology is not about stuff that I still want to... that I yet have to buy or th- things that are being developed but but a lot of the enjoyment comes from discovering stuff that your current gadgets can do and one of the brands that is constantly uh, delivering new surprises to me as to what it can do is apple and it's again it's a bug that is actually a feature apple is notoriously bad at telling you how their products work um, and there are a ton of shortcuts and hidden. There's a lot of hidden functionality that they don't publish. Publish. They don't publicize. There's not a manual. If you if you buy an Apple device, it doesn't come with a thick manual that explains. Well, if you press this button and do that with your mouse, you will actually see this and that. No, they leave it up to you to discover, which can be both frustrating and exhilarating. Because once you discover these shortcuts, you're like. Oh, oh my gosh, this is making it a lot easier for me to operate this device. And so I follow a number of TikTokers that actually have videos specialized in that. It's like, here's another thing you didn't know about your iPhone. I don't even, well, I own an iPhone. It's an iPhone 6. But um, currently my go-to phone is an Android phone. And I'm still watching the videos because oftentimes what is true for the iPhone it also works on the iPad. And the iPad is my most used gadget in, in, in my life. Has always been for the past, ever since the invention of the iPad. Um, it's, it's literally the device that I use day and night. I constantly have it at my side. I read the news on it. I play some video games on it. I use it to, to journal. For me, that is currently the most uh, important uh, use of this iPad. It helps me. I can carry it along. And it's all about making, you know, lower the threshold for journaling for me. I have this little hobbit corner in my in my house. If you watch the live stream on Christmas, Christmas Day, you 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 may remember that. 
And there is a small table in the Hobbit corner where, like Bilbo Baggins, I can sit and write. And, but I never do work there. It's always writing a journal, writing about the things that ha have occurred or the things that may occur, the things that I want to occur. So that, that is where I use my iPad um, to fill in, you know, my one day, uh, my day one journal, I want to say one day, day one. Day one is an app that is uh, available for Android, uh, but was developed for iOS and for macOS. There is no Windows version yet. I think they're working on a web version. Um, and it is a, it's a fantastic app. And I'm so glad I discovered it. Actually, the other day, I've, I got a code for a six-month subscription to their premium uh, service, which is a bit pricey normally. So, And I'm perfectly happy with just having day one on my iPad and not have it sync uh, to other devices because I'm never going to do entries on my phone. But anyway, I got this, uh, this free code. So I was like, wow. By the way, it's no longer available. Uh, they did like a a video, like an instructional video, if you watched it in, in like halfway through the video, they would give you this code. Um, but so I'm now I'm enjoying journaling every day and every evening on my iPad. And I'm, I'm actually, this is a bit of a rabbit hole, but I'm also thinking of, of journaling um, a little bit more during my production weeks. So this year, as you know, I'm going to produce a number of documentaries. Um, hopefully when it's possible again, I will do that in a number of foreign countries, at least foreign to me. And what I what I came up with as an idea is I want to uh, share that journey with those that made it possible. So I've got uh, a number of higher tier patrons that are actually co-producing these documentaries with their uh, somewhat higher donation. They make it possible for me to do to you know get my media work to the next level. And in return, I want to really involve them in the process of making these documentaries. It's for me also a way to share my know-how, uh, also my technical know-how, storytelling know-how, with people that are really invested in that. And so I was thinking um, one way to do that is by writing a journal on, at the end of every day and sharing just the, the things that, that I that I experienced on my journey, um, and some of it will end up in the documentary. Other stuff may otherwise get lost forever. There's always so much happening when it, when I uh, uh, go out for for these longer uh, expeditions, um, and so that's another way for me to use journaling, not just for myself, which is super useful, but also to share certain experiences with uh, with others. Um, but having this iPad, being able to carry it along to every corner in my house without having to lug around a, a heavy laptop. This one is heavy enough, by the way, because I'm using a, a Logitech uh, keyboard cover, which is pretty solid. And um, it adds about twice, well, it makes the entire thing weigh twice as much as a, a regular iPad. And this is a 12.9 iPad, so it is already heavy in itself. But it's still... About as light. This one is, a, is about as light as the 11-inch um, iPad Air that I carry around. But of course, it's got a bigger screen. It's much faster, and it is. It has touch, which is also completely messing up my habits when I sit in front of my MacBook Mini or MacBook Air, 
because I keep touching the screen. I, am I the only one who has both an iPad and a, a, a MacBook and you keep like using the screen to select stuff? And I was like, ah, oh, Apple, why don't your laptops have a touchscreen? You, <laughs> you have so many of those. Why not? It would be so useful. Anyway, that's a little gripe. But there are some, some things that are still easier to do on a laptop compared to uh, an iPad. For instance, um, at the end of my, uh, my expanded show, the, the Father Roderick to the Max, which is this show, but then to the Max with another hour. Uh, at the end of the episode, I always have a quote of the day or a quote of the week, I should say. Something that, that I read that has really touched me or struck me for whatever reason, and I comment on that. And so I'm following a number of uh, inspirational Instagram accounts where uh, that often give me so much good stuff to think about. But as you know, it's hard to save a photo from Instagram. You have to screenshot it uh, because, well, Facebook wants to keep you in their um, environment, in their ecosystem, and so they want they don't, don't want to make it too easy for you to go and just steal photos or save them elsewhere. They want you to go back to Instagram to to watch that photo again. And so screenshots are important. How do you make a screenshot on an iPad? I know on an iPhone you have to press physically press two buttons, which I hate because uh, I always have a protective cover over my Apple devices, and then so it's a bit rubbery, and, it, and you need to really press hard to make that screenshot. It's, and then sometimes you press the wrong button and it shuts off the entire device. It is not at all a good method to, to take a screenshot. Unfortunately, there is no gesture that you can make to make a screenshot like you can do on an Android. Um, the same is true on the iPad. When I want to install a program, I have to press a volume button and the on and off switch. But again, as I said, this iPad is encased in a keyboard cover which is pretty strong rubberized material. So when I have to confirm that I really want to install a certain app, I'm, I'm pressing these two buttons and they're on the side of the device. It's very, this is a huge slab of metal and glass. It is the most inconvenient thing ever. And then oftentimes, because it's so difficult, I accidentally just press the power button and the device turns off. And it's like not once, but this happens so often. And like, oh, Apple, usability, please. And then I saw this TikTok video and someone said, hey, you have an Apple Pencil. Just put it in the lower left or lower right corner and then swipe to the middle and boom, you have a screenshot, and you can even crop it from there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is the coolest hack ever. This is so useful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, TikTok. I am so happy with this. <laughs> so it's these little discoveries that are making life so, so useful. And I know exactly which keys to press on my uh, MacBook to take a screenshot. And it's Easier on a MacBook than it is on Windows. Windows is even worse to make screenshots because you have to launch a certain app. And then, oh, before you have a screenshot in Windows, I'm not talking about the entire screen because you can just press print screen and then paste it into Photoshop or something like that. But just grab a certain portion of the screen in Windows. Ugh, it's so hard. 
So anyway, um, I get more enjoyment out of a device that actually Cliff, Cliff Ravenscraft talked me into buying because I was at the time convinced that I had to go buy one of those Samsung tablets that were cheaper uh, than the iPad, came with a free uh, pencil, but Cliff told me, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, because they will actually be outdated before you know it, whereas Apple keeps improving their devices with software and you will actually enjoy it for much longer. And that's still the case. I'm still reading Mass when I read Mass online. I use my old iPad, which is, what, eight years old? You know, if it had been an Android device, I should have threw, throw it, I should have thrown it away like three times before. Unfortunately, it doesn't get the newer updates of the operating system anymore from Apple. It's slightly to also the first Apple Air, the iPad Air. But it still runs 80% of the apps. It's still relatively safe. And, you know, it functions just like any other, any other iPad. So, so thank you to all you Apple fans who helped me go and make the right choice. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you made the right choice by listening to this episode. If you're a patron, of course, there is another uh, an hour... hour waiting for you in your uh, in your own podcast feed that is linked to your account if you have any trouble uh, subscribing to Father Roderick to the max then just contact us on Discord and we'll let you know how to uh, how to make that work if you want to become um, part of the Patreon community just take a look at patreon.com slash Father Roderick and help me make this year the best year ever thanks for listening Thanks to all of you who are watching on YouTube. Make sure to like and subscribe. And I'll talk to you soon. Take care and God bless.